Has the past few years been a bit much for you and it's taken a toll on your health? Today, we're focusing on how you can have a rich life by getting fit. Welcome to Simplify and Enjoy, the podcast and community focused on helping families have less stress and more options through minimalism and financial independence. I'm your host, El Martinez. This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Find out how at bankbetter.org. These past three or so years have been quite the ride. And even though we never caught COVID, the pandemic has definitely affected us. Nothing dramatic, but when you put it together, I can see how things have shifted, good and bad. I have family and friends who are vulnerable to COVID because of health issues they already had. So during all of this, I've been more cautious, and that's translated me to worrying a bit more about their health, about ours. On the plus side, though, I knew that social isolation wouldn't be good for me or my family. So we started meeting up with others outdoors. I believe that was really helpful with keeping in touch with our friends, getting that fresh air, and staying somewhat active, though not what we were doing before. Same thing with eating. On the plus side, we cooked and ate more at home. But looking at the meals we picked, I admit, comfort foods definitely topped the list. Again, nothing crazy, but when you stack these together for a few years, it starts showing. I see it on the scale, with my energy levels, and more. I'm turning that around this year and I'm prioritizing my health because I think that's a core component to that rich life we talked about last week. I want to enjoy hanging with our kids, becoming more active again, and maybe discovering a new activity or hobby to enjoy. Besides the obvious physical benefits of getting fit, there's also a mental and emotional boost when you're taking care of yourself that spills over to other areas of your life. Which is why I'm thrilled to have Rich Jones on the podcast. He's the award-winning creator and founder of Find More Balance and The Mental Wealth Show, where he discusses holistic health for high achievers. A few years ago, Rich had his own transformation. By focusing on his mental and physical health, Rich had some incredible personal and professional wins. In this episode, we're going to get into Rich's amazing journey of sobriety to becoming a national track champion, healthy habits you can adopt to have meaningful improvements to your health, and how you can take and make your health goals into a reality. We have so much to cover, so let's get started. You and I have been in this space with finance. We've heard the phrase a rich life, right? And it's usually very narrowly focused on the finances. And to a degree, it's appropriate because finances are connected to things and you want to help out. But I feel like what you're doing now over at Find More Balance and the Mental Wealth Show is talking about a rich life in a more holistic sense. You talk about that intersection of high performance and mental health, about your journey and growth. You had something on your timeline in August 
11th this year, you said, I couldn't have written a better story than what's happened these past two years. Yeah. So y'all don't know that we were just talking before this show about how I was starting on a book. So for you to even <laughs> like mention that is, is crazy, but please do go on. Yeah. I, okay. So I've known you for years. We're in the like, VinCon community. We've talked about personal finance, helping people in the end build their finances, but also a life that they love. But what I've seen in the past two years is that you've had an incredible journey on top of that. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Talk about your journey with sobriety, your career shift, and you took a sabbatical and you're pursuing something that you had given up years ago. And now you're a gold medalist. You're a champion in track. So I don't know where to start. I'm going to kind of throw that to you. What was the first piece to building this? I mean, let's just call it your rich this rich life. I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about the book and I'm like, I'm going to have to incorporate that somewhere. That was so obvious that I didn't even think of it with my name. Just perfect. But for me, the first thing really was making the decision to quit alcohol. So Mm -hmm. July 1st, 2020, that morning I woke up, I was sitting in my kitchen island, had last night's can of steel reserve malt liquor sitting there. I felt the way that I felt many a morning too many mornings. And I got to this place where I just said, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm tired of living this way. I'm starting to look exactly like the person I didn't want to become. And that was like my father. Oh. I remember seeing him drink and looking back and reflecting and realizing that he had undiagnosed mental health issues. And I remember the way that he acted and how out of mind he was. And then I thought about a lot of the experiences that I had with alcohol. And I was like, wow, as much as I tried to not be like him, I ended up being just like him. And so there was really like a a conscious decision to break the cycle. And what I'm realizing now is is break a generational cycle. Because if I don't do that, that doesn't give me what's felt like a year to recover in the traditional sobriety sense, sobriety sense. But then also a few months or a year ago, I learned that I had complex PTSD. And so I started the healing journey for that. And so a lot of these experiences, the alcohol, everything, I went through the first 39 years of my life and had no idea that I carried this complex PTSD from probably the time I was like five or six years old and and never got it addressed. So if I don't make that decision to quit alcohol, I don't begin the exploration I don't create the space to be able to get back into track. I don't get back into track. Like who, I I mean, it's just a completely different story. And the story can't begin without me quitting alcohol. I mean, I guess the story has been a traditional story of trial and tribulations, and it does ultimately have a happy ending, but none of this begins without that decision. That was one of the most critical cycles that I needed to break. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. And I want to pause because I think this speaks to a lot of people, whether it's alcohol or something else we rely on when we're dealing with something, but we're not really dealing with something is sometimes in our minds, we think 
I'm doing good enough or I'm doing fine because I have a great career or I have this going for me. And there's this myth that things have to be completely falling apart for there to be a problem. But I known you for years before 2020, doing really well successfully, first of all, with paycheck and balances and that work, but then also your day job and your career. I mean, you say you wake up, but that's that's a huge step just like to realize this isn't working for me. So how do you go from this is not working for me and knowing that I have to quit drinking? Well, for me, I was also cognizant of how old I was. And I'm getting to that weird age where I remember my parents at this age when I was yeah. a child. <laughs> yes. And I'm within like a few years of my dad. And I remember him getting diagnosed with diabetes. I remember him had the alcohol problem that he had for years. And I'm thinking about just health issues, things that had started to pop up. And so for me, I just saw it going down a really dark path. And so I, it felt like for a lot of people, the pandemic was a time for reflection. I think that mm -hmm. was the case for me too. In a way, it worked out that it gave me the much needed time to reflection where actually my drink, drinking spiked because I was just home alone and had to be alone with my thoughts mm -hmm. and I wasn't prepared to handle those thoughts. But it also gave me the time to get to a place where I could make that decision to quit alcohol. So people are like, wow, for a lot of people, the pandemic is what led mm -hmm. to them drinking. For me, the pandemic is what led to me quitting drinking. Yeah, I think in our culture, it's like, it's not considered a big deal until like now the pandemic's kind of uncovered, like maybe we're masking things when we're drinking, relaxing. For some, I need to unwind. And I feel like, yeah, like you said, the pandemic shifted certain things. And in your case, it was quitting. So did you just go cold turkey for someone who's thinking, I need to make a change? What was going through your mind? Were you like, okay, I'm just going to try this for a few weeks or whatever? Thank you for asking that. So it was cold turkey. Okay. And what I told the world was that I was just trying dry July. Uh -huh, because okay. I didn't know if I was going to succeed. So I didn't want to make this big declaration of quitting. It's like I knew that I succeed, but I didn't know if I was going to succeed. Like my confidence mm -hmm. still wasn't there yet. Now, I also have the overachiever syndrome. So when I put my mind to something, mm -hmm. I really put my mind to it. Like that's what's led to what people would call a lot of my traditional success. And it's why even while struggling to still accomplish some of the things that I have, because when I put my mind to something, I really put my mind to something. Yeah. And I think at first it was just waking up and not feeling like crap. Like, and I'll be clear, like those first few weeks when you quit, like, it's not just like you suddenly just start sleeping well and everything is just like rosy. My sleep was worse than it already was for those first few weeks. But then to be able to start sleeping better and then oh. to not wake up dehydrated. And then because I'm not dehydrated, I can then go work out. And so that's the other thing. The alcohol, I wouldn't work out the way that I wanted to. I didn't eat the way that I thought that I wanted to. But then once I quit, I didn't have that thing that was the trigger of all the cycles. So for me, I was like, I like this. I like this. Now, 
there was a period where things felt great. And I think there's a term for it mm-hmm. called like pink clouding, where when you quit, you have this period where like, I guess the endorphin, everything hits and you feel fantastic. And then you have a crash and you come back down to reality. That part did come too. And that yeah. was the bulk of that first year afterwards. And it wasn't something that I really knew until I looked back at it in retrospect. Mm. You know, I don't think I fully grasped until I looked back at the mental health leave that I took. And I had to think, what state was I in when I went on that leave? In fact, I was on that leave this time a year ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so I was thinking about what state I had to, what state I had to be in to go on that leave. And again, coming back to that decision, it's like none of this, I I don't make that decision for myself even, I -hmm. think. I don't make that career pivot in there that you talked about where I moved from program management and internal communications to working in DEI and I couldn't, and I wouldn't have been able to make that because I wouldn't have had the clarity to make that decision. I would have been stuck in the same cycle that I was in, comfortable, but distressed which is where a lot of us end up. Yeah. And I know everyone's different, so I don't want to speak for you. But I know if I was in that situation, you got a job, you do enjoy, you're doing work, it's good enough. That's scary that you're asking for a sabbatical. I know certain companies seem more employee focused, but did you have any like fear like, I don't know, am I coming back? Or are they going to use that time to find my replacement? I mean, how long was that sabbatical that you requested? How did that process even go? Because that's a huge step for a lot of people. There's a, a fear underlying that. Yeah. So, so my situation is not going to be the normal situation. I acknowledge that right away. There are some things I'm privileged to have to have access to by working yeah. at a large tech company like a Google. At mm-hmm. the same, and I also acknowledge that I've worked hard to get here, and it's okay for me yeah. to enjoy these things and to not feel bad about these things that I have access to. The thing for me was a lot of it. The hardest part was the mental stuff beforehand. What are people going to think? Because I had just moved into this retention and progression role in DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion at Google in April of last year. At this point, we're talking about 2021. It's getting crazy with, with all of the times, but I had just moved into that role. And so I'm like, man, I've only been in this role for five months, however much time. I'm I'm having panic attacks with my camera off during team meetings and and various other meetings. I remember being at another conference podcast movement, like in tears in my hotel room. And a lot of it was about what other people thought, what other people were going to think. Very little about like how I felt. It It was very much about everyone else. And that's something that has gotten me in trouble most of my life. It gets a lot of us in trouble for the bulk of our life. Yeah. And so I felt like I hadn't really got to a place where I was succeeding with this role. I didn't feel like I was especially succeeding or, or exceeding expectations in my last role. So it was like, ah, I felt like I had something to prove. And really this external focus on what everyone else was going to think, even though I'm the person sitting there having panic attacks in meetings with my camera off. And yeah, I just ultimately got to place where I said, if I don't do this, mm-hmm. going to have consequences. What really helped me with being able to take the leave was seeing my manager at the time take a leave and then seeing uh-huh. someone else on my team take a leave. And so I remember saying to myself, if 
they can create space, if they can take leave and it's okay, then it should be okay for me to take leave. It, it should be okay for me to take care of myself. Yeah. So I had to be empowered and, and enabled to make that decision. Did you have a set time in mind? Like, I need to at least have this time off? Or was it more of you had to have the conversation to figure out how much time they would give you for someone who's thinking this might be something they should do for their own mental health? I got some fantastic advice, and that was take more time than you think that you'll need. Okay. Because at first I said, I think I need a month. And then, I, and then someone gave me that advice, and I was like, I think I need six weeks. That six weeks then turned into 12, 12 to 13 weeks. What a lot of people don't know is when people say that they're taking mental health leave, oftentimes that's a short-term disability leave. But people don't think of mental health and mm -hmm. the related issues necessarily as a disability because people traditionally associate that with like factory jobs, hurting your back. I also went through that too. When I found out that mm -hmm. it was short-term disability, I freaked out a bit. I was like, wait, I was like, oh, I can walk. I can, I, I, I can function. Am I, yeah. I going to be lying? But then I'm like, wait, I have, I learned I have complex PTSD and I've had anxiety for quite some time and I have ADHD. And these things do actually make it really, really difficult for me to do my job. Once yeah. I got over that mental hump, I submitted it. And, and this is all online via internal systems. But it was a pretty seamless process. And it worked out that the part that I'm most thankful for is that I was 100% paid through that time. Wow. That so is it, fantastic. So it was, it, I believe it was like 65% was covered by the short-term disability insurance for up to 13 weeks. I think that's the standard of how short-term disability works. But then Google makes up the difference for up to 13 weeks. So they'll pay the other 35% or whatever it is to bring you to yeah. 100% of pay. I think some other state benefit is in there as well in, in California. So having that space, having 13 weeks. And the thing is, yeah. when I went out on that leave, I thought that I felt the way that I did because I needed to leave corporate America and because I needed to go jump into entrepreneurship. So when I took that leave, I thought I was taking that leave because I was going to exit altogether. And this was my time to relax and work on my exit plan. But it turned out that that was not it. This was really my time to begin healing, to begin doing the healing that I didn't even know that I needed to do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There's a couple key takeaways I definitely want to highlight because you have a lot of gems in there. First of all, it's great that Google offers that. And I know a lot of tech companies do have benefits like that. For those listening, if you are in a position where you have these resources, the first thing I would say is, I don't think we take advantage of them. And I'm not saying as a selfish taking advantage, but if you have the resources to allow you to be your best self, which in turn could help you be a better, more productive worker, you it's not a, a great phrase, but I'll just say, give yourself permission yes. to take what you need to be better, to be whole again. We all have something we need to work on. And that is fantastic that you did that. You took it. I think that needs to be mentioned and highlighted just a little bit. But then too, I'm curious. I know a little bit about the story, but I want to find out more. You know, if this was a on the internet story. You quit and you completely leave corporate America to start your entrepreneurship. But I saw that you were on the fence and there were some signs of what you needed to do or what you would want to do that led to track. Could you kind of get into that? Yeah. So 
the track thing was yeah. interesting. So at one year of alcohol sobriety, so July 1st, 2021, mm-hmm. as a celebration of that and finally having the space in my life, I committed to getting back into track and field after 15 plus years off. Wow. And it was something I never thought that I would do again. I remember going to a local track. I brought my old spikes July 1st, 2021. I got my little camera set up. I recorded this. It's probably one of the few Instagram lives that I've done, but I'm in tears sitting there. I still go back and watch it every now and then just to, just to see how far I've come. But I'm sitting there in tears, holding the spikes, doing something that I thought about literally every day, at least once for the past 15 years, just because of how my last career in college ended. I have a picture where it's me and a few other seniors. Oh, I wish I had that picture in front of me now. It's a picture (laughs) of me and a few other seniors. And you see me with, so everyone else is smiling and looks happy. And then you see me with a hood up and you can barely see my face. And I just, it helped me see like where I was at the time. But then it was, I also remember that I went out basically injured. My last meet in college, it was just kind of like a fizzle, went out with a whimper. And so that stuck with me. And plus even the alcohol things were going on like way back then. So to be able to like get a second chance, I am no way as fast or as strong as I was when I was 21, but to have a second chance to be able to do it and, and to do it high level, I couldn't pass that up. And this really came, it's interesting how track actually led to me seeing the value of going back to work, which was crazy because while I was on leave, once I got through a lot of the painful portion of the leave, which was, which was probably the first six weeks before I got to a place of, of normalcy, that's when I started to be like, what do I want my day to look like? How do I want to spend my time? And a lot of it revolved around me essentially partaking in healthy habits so that I could get ready for the season. And when it got time to think about going back to work, I was debating, you know, do I go back? Do I not go back? These benefits, like it's been nice to be 100% paid and not have to like worry about a lot of other stuff. Like these benefits in themselves are real. like just being able to take mm-hmm. that leave in itself, like tremendous value to the benefits. But then I got close to going back to work and I went on site at my job for a doctor's appointment. When I left that doctor's appointment, I went upstairs in that building to check out the gym. Mm -hmm. And I said, this gym has everything I need for my track and field workouts. And it's Mm -hmm. free. It's included. Then on the way out of the building, I stopped in the cafeteria to get breakfast. And I'm like, I have access to covered, paid for breakfast, lunch, and dinner throughout the week. So I don't have to think about why would I leave? What? Why would I leave? And when I went back, I knew how I didn't want to feel. So the other thing I pledged was that I'll never feel the way that I felt when I went out. I was very clear about with my boss, about my boundaries, the projects that I wanted to work on, things like that. I'm having the best stretch of my career that I've ever had at this very moment. And that all came from that realization with track, like work was actually helping me achieve a life dream. It completely changed the way that I thought about work. Like it's helping me, it's helping me achieve a goal. And so now my thing is, how can I make work serve me? That's what I say to people. How can you make work serve you beyond just the job title, beyond just the money? What is it allowing you to do in life that's important to you? What I appreciate 
what you're speaking is with work. Let's just talk about the, the whole boundary thing and how you see work. Again, we've been in the personal finance space and we're all always talking about side hustles or do you have a hobby that can make you money? And they have their place, but you can't ignore that you need to have your own joy, whether that's, you know, in your case, it's track and field. Some people create music, writing, whatever it is, make sure you have the space for it. But then like you were saying, even taking a nine to five career that people usually associate with just being a chore and making it work for you. Yeah, the rat race, but you're making it work for you and good for you for also the boundaries. There's like so many different pieces, but I think that also needs to be said. Sometimes we're afraid to speak, but we need to for our own mental health, our own emotional health. So we can be productive because I know you specialize with like high performers and and you've done an incredible job with your career. But part of that is to avoid the burnout, you have to kind of refresh yourself, recharge yourself, however that looks for you. I want to make sure we give the space for anyone listening. They're starting their journey, whatever habit they want to change, whatever transformation they want to make. How can they reach out to you and listen to the podcast and everything? Yes. So this has been fantastic. And I know we could talk for hours, but all good things must come to an end. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, if it still exists, at Rich Runs Track. <laughs> and then you can also find the podcast, everything else at findmorebalance.com. But you could find the podcast, The Mental Wealth Show, on any of your favorite podcast players. After my discussion with Rich, I was inspired, and I hope you are too. It's amazing how prioritizing his health snowballed into so many other opportunities. But here's the challenge actually following through. How do you do it? To jumpstart things, I'll share how I'm breaking down my goals into habits and then into a system. You can hopefully work through your goals and set up your own system. Let's start with creating goals for your health. You remember last week I talked about the importance of setting SMART goals. So I'm going to do that right now. Something I took away from my chat with Rich is thinking beyond the numbers when it comes to health. I need to look at my health holistically. So for this year, I have three key areas and goals I want to work towards. The first is get to a healthy weight, find a sport or activity that I enjoy, and schedule time to catch up with loved ones. These goals are going to help me physically, mentally, and emotionally, but they're not quite broken down into those SMART goals yet. One of the reasons I love having a SMART goal is that it's an easy way to break down whatever you're working on into an action plan that you can then use. So I got to make these goals specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. Let's see how that works with my goals. I think the easiest is getting to a healthy weight. First off, I'm going to have an appointment with my doctor to 
make sure that the number I'm working for makes sense. I want to get a healthy weight that is right for me. But for this exercise, I'm going to ballpark it and say, I'm planning on losing 30 pounds because I'm looking for something sustainable and I'm not interested in a crash diet. The timeline I'd set is for mid-December around our next anniversary. That means I'm looking to lose around two and a half pounds a month, which is certainly achievable. And this is relevant to me because this is a quality of life issue. I noticed myself that I'm less active and I'm not enjoying playing around with the kids because of this extra weight. I would feel much better about myself if I was back to a healthier weight and more active. So that's the first goal. Next, we have trying a new sport. This is more mental health. I'd love to try out different things and activities and maybe find a sport or a hobby that I really enjoy and can keep up with. I could make this fun by setting a goal every month of trying something new. And again, I wanted to keep this achievable. So a monthly challenge is right for me. I have a timeline and it's relevant because I can do some of these activities myself. But like for this month, we're going to be trying out archery. I can do that with my kids as well. Finally, that last goal is scheduling time to catch up with loved ones. It might not sound exciting, but for me, I personally find that when I have something on the schedule, I'm more likely to achieve it. I really do want to prioritize connecting with family and friends on a more regular basis. An achievable thing for me with my schedule is setting aside an hour or two once a week where I either write, text, or call one or two people. I feel like this is a great opportunity to catch up and see what's going on with everyone. But then also by focusing only on one or two people a week, having meaningful conversations with them. So I have my goals. I've turned them into SMART goals. Now the next step with this is seeing within these goals, what are some key habits I need to change? And I'm actually going to do a deeper dive into this on YouTube because I think that's the better space for that. But one of the things I've noticed with habits is that there are certain habits that lead to other ones. They kind of cause this domino effect. With the getting to a healthy weight, I have to make better choices with food. So one of the key habits is going to come up with my grocery runs. I need to do a better job meal planning and making sure that I include healthier options when I go to the grocery store. This is a simple habit that can definitely make things easier in the long run with that goal. With the catching up with loved ones, putting that on my calendar. One habit, one change, but by having that and setting a reminder, it forces me just for an hour or two to take care of that. Finally, a sport or an activity that I enjoy Turning this into a monthly challenge is going to make this easier to do, but then I also have an accountability partner, or I should say partners, with my kids. They're going to be helping me find out what sports or hobbies I could do, and hopefully we can do a few of them together. I think this would be a lot of fun. Then the final key ingredient is creating systems. 
don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to do these crazy productivity hacks. I like to think of systems as an easy on-ramp to developing better habits. Instead of trying to change everything at once, I want to find something sustainable. That's why I was mentioning looking at those keystone habits because there are opportunities sometimes to either automate or to streamline and come up with some kind of template that you can use week after week with your program and your goals. With finances, it's a little bit easier. I automate our bill pays, our transfers into our retirement savings, and our other shorter timetable goals. Same thing you can do with health. Like I mentioned with meal planning, the grocery run. I can put that on the list and have that as a template that I know each week I'm going to be getting these fruits, these vegetables, rotated within season, but it's already been planned so I don't have to struggle that morning of trying to figure out what I need to get for the week. It's already done at least the night before. I hope these tips make it easier to create healthier habits in your life. This segment is brought to you by our partners such as Noom Weight. Noom helps you be healthier in an easy and enjoyable way. Unlike other programs, Zoom's psychological focus uses small goals to help you create lasting habits and get to a healthy weight for good. You'll get fitness tips, recipes, a coach, and more to stay motivated. Learn more at simplifyandenjoy.com slash new. Before we wrap up, I want to share a few key takeaways I picked up from preparing this episode and my conversation with Rich. The first is your health matters and you should prioritize it. As a parent, I completely understand how easy it is to put your health in the back burner. After all, there are so many things that are competing for your attention. But I hope this episode shows how important it is to make sure you make space and time for taking care of yourself because that spills over to different areas of your life. It really benefits you and others around you. The second is health is holistic. With people making goals for the year, they focus a lot on their physical health. And that's understandable because that's what we see. Like I had mentioned at the top of the episode, that's one of the first things I noticed was looking at the scale, I had gained some weight. But health isn't just one dimensional. We're also talking about your emotional and mental health as well. So maybe you do start out with the physical getting fit, but also make sure that you include activities that you enjoy. Maybe having your exercises be social so you get that connection because when you take care of the different aspects of yourself, then you're in a better position to be a better parent, a better friend, just a better person overall. I really feel like this is a key part of having that rich life, that you're able to enjoy it. Finally, the last takeaway is focus on setting up systems instead of just changing habits. If you're like me, there are a lot of things that need to get adjusted. But realistically, if you're focused on changing everything at once, you're more likely to fail. Instead, make things easier on yourself for those days and weeks 
or your motivations lower by creating a system where by default you're moving towards that goal. And later this week, I'm uploading to YouTube a video that expands a little bit more about developing those habits and systems. I'm only going to be focusing on those habits. There's objective evidence of their effectiveness and two, that it's sustainable and realistic for a busy parent to do. I hope these resources help you with your health goals. If you want to get started with your journey, please join our community. It's free. We're all about helping one another. I'm going to be sharing updates about how I'm doing with my goals, and I would love to hear about yours and how you're doing. Besides getting updates on the podcast, I also share resources on simplifying your money, home, and life, and making things easier. If you're interested, just head over to simplifyandenjoy.com slash join. We'd love for you to be a part of this. Special thanks to Rich for being a part of this episode. If you want to catch his show, Mental Wealth, or learn more about the work he's doing, just head over to findmorebalance.com. As always, I'll include links to the resources we mentioned today, plus more over at simplifyandenjoy.com. Next week on the podcast, continuing our series on creating a rich life, we're diving into how to include more memorable and meaningful experiences in your life. For some families, it's travel, learning a new language, or just trying something completely different. Karen Cordaway is going to share how you can create your everyday bucket list in a way that adds fun into your schedule without breaking your budget. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss out on that episode. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme was by Staircases with additional music from various artists over at Audio. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you not only listening, but also sending in questions and ideas for the podcast and sharing your favorite episode with your friends. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.